I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. It's been over a month since I got my second COVID-19 infection. I'm thankful that it was mostly mild, but my cough hasn't entirely recovered. That means neither has my voice. The dominant COVID-19 variant in the country at the moment is BA5, and it's the new kid on the block that's making reinfections more common than ever. That means I can't really claim any immunity superpowers with my recent infection. No one can. BA5 has the ability to bypass any existing immunity from previous infections, and it's infecting boosted and vaxxed people who have managed to avoid COVID for the past two and a half years. Each new coronavirus wave teaches us new lessons. It tests our existing understanding of the pandemic and our ability to respect what we don't know about this virus. Dr. Bob Wachter is the chair of medicine at UCSF, and he's been on the front lines of trying to guide the public through each COVID-19 wave with his Twitter threads and research roundups. He's also been a frequent guest on Fifth Emission, and he joins me again today to talk about the BA5 variant, which he calls a different beast. Wachter will share his insights on the latest pandemic twist, including how we should think about reinfection risks, the benefits of future boosters, and long COVID. On top of being a public health expert, Wachter is still on the front lines of caring for patients, so he joins me now via Zoom from the UCSF hospital campus at Parnassus. Dr. Wachter, thanks so much for making the time. It's always a pleasure. So, Dr. Wachter, it's really easy for folks to ignore the latest variant news at this point in the pandemic. But why should folks really pay attention to BA5? What makes it different? Well, first of all, I understand the inclination to try to move on. It's been two and a half years. And if you're human, you're exhausted and tired of this thing. Uh, So that part is completely understandable. I think there are two pieces of data that people are queuing in on that one is, I think, a fake out and the other is, is, is correct. The fake out is they look at the number of cases, it doesn't look that high, uh, nowhere near the spike that we saw in December and January, but that's a fake out because of the number of home tests that don't get reported. There's a huge amount of COVID around right now. The one that's real is that this, this current surge, which has gone on for a while, but even the BA5 part of it, doesn't seem to be more severe. And we're seeing an uptick in hospitalizations, but it's, it's, uh, it's consistent with the uptick in the number of cases. We're not seeing that many deaths. The reason I, I, I would take it more seriously, A, there's a lot of cases around. So if you're not being careful, you're a decent chance you'll get it. B, if you think you have superpowers because you got infected two months ago, uh, that doesn't count for as much as it used to. It still counts for something, but we are seeing a decent number of reinfections. And so just, just because you've gotten infected in 2022 will not guarantee that you will not get, get infected again. Uh, three, even if you're fully vaccinated, which you should be, and boosted, which you should be, uh, that still protects you quite well against getting very sick and dying, but not very well against getting infected. And I guess the final point is, you know, as I say to people all the time, since I've had four shots, I really don't worry about dying of COVID anymore, but I still really don't want to get COVID mostly because of long COVID. And we don't know yet about BA5 and long COVID. Omicron's risk for long COVID seems to be a little lower than that of the prior viruses, but it's not super low. And as you probably know, my wife still doesn't feel quite right three months out. And as I watch her, I basically, you know, she's she feels like her thinking is about 80 percent of normal, which now means she's only 20 or 30 percent smarter than I am. 
but that's not nothing. And a lot of people are feeling the after effects of having an infection. So I still really want to want to avoid this if I can. Right. And I recently chatted with my colleague, Chronicle Health reporter Aaron Alday on the show, and we talked about just how the evolution of COVID just keeps surprising and challenging our assumptions. Has BA5 surprised even you, a pandemic expert? Yeah, I mean, not surprised because I don't know that I'm capable of surprise anymore. I've sort of baked in surprise into my assumptions about this virus. It's it's going to shape shift. It's going to do new things just when you think you've got it figured out. You haven't. Omicron was an enormous surprise that, that we could have a virus that was that infectious. And there was a lucky surprise that it seems to be a little bit milder than the original. And then for the last five months, we've had what I guess is no longer a surprise, but was at the time, which is every time the surge would normally be coming down, there's a new variant that's better at transmitting itself to people than the prior one. What's different about BA5 is the level of immune escape. So the fact that it's more infectious, the fact that it's taking over from the prior variant, that no longer a surprise. That seems to be what our pattern is, uh, sadly. But the degree to which this particular variant really doesn't pay much attention to your prior immunity and including prior immunity from an infection as recently as a month ago, if it was with a different variant, that's just different than what we've seen before. And so the assumption I got, you know, I had COVID two months ago and I've been vaccinated. So I have COVID superpowers. I'm not at risk at all. No longer holds. Whereas at one point it was completely true. Mm -hmm. And so now taking into account BA5's ability to evade immunity, like you're describing, how should we be thinking about boosters? We know that U.S. health officials are working on a plan to allow second boosters for all adults. Will the shots target the latest variants? Kind of always feels like we're a step or so behind as the virus evolves. Yeah, the, the issue of the vaccines and boosters and, and this variant is complicated and, and, and it's easy to get confused. And so here's the story. The vaccines and the boosters are less effective in preventing infection than, than they were previously, that the booster and the second booster uh, uh, seems to protect you for maybe a month or two against getting infected, but then that effect wanes. So you might say, why bother? Well, why bother is the effect against severe infection, hospitalization, ICU, and death still seems to be quite powerful and well-retained. So there are really two different threads of protection with vaccines. One is protecting you against getting infected, and the second is protecting you against getting really sick and dying. The, the boosters still work quite well in terms of preventing you from getting really sick and dying, including, we think, against BA5. They don't work as well against getting infected. And the studies on the second booster, they're increasingly convincing that the rate of severe disease, hospitalization, and death is substantially lower. So to me, it is a no-brainer that you should get the second booster if you're at high risk of getting sick. Mostly you're older, you have other medical diseases. And I think if I were a healthy 30-year-old and I'm weighing the risks and benefits of getting the vaccine, the risks are essentially zero. And I think the benefits are real. It will prevent some cases of COVID. It will prevent a few, but a significant number of hospitalizations and a few deaths. And so you weigh all that together and I would get it. And I think the White House and the FDA are going to approve it for everybody soon. Uh, the final thing, sometimes people say, well, I don't want to get it now because I want to hold out and wait for the new rejiggered vaccine in the fall. So two things to say about that. First of all, I'm not sure how much better the new rejiggered vaccine will be. 
it probably will be a little bit better because at least part of it will be targeted against Omicron, not clear which Omicron variant. I'd say there's a decent chance that by the fall, BA5 will be gone and there'll be a new one. So we're always chasing our tail here. And it, it probably turns out it will be a little bit better, but not all that much better than the original. But the second point is, I think the probability that if you get a booster number two this week, that you won't be able to get that fancy new rejiggered vaccine in October is zero because you got a booster four months ago. You'll have to wait an extra few weeks. I mean, there's no chance that you'll be blocked from getting it because you got uh, a booster now. So I think for everybody, you should just go ahead and get the second booster. And I, I want to talk about reinfections a little bit more. BA5, you know, it kind of ignores the previous immunity that you've had if you've gotten COVID. Many people are getting it again. I unfortunately got it again last month. What are what are the consequences of a reinfection? Are there specific risks for those who get COVID again and maybe again and again? Yeah, I guess the first point is I wouldn't use the word ignores it. I would, you know, sort of sidesteps partly. It that your 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 prior immunity, including from an infection, is not worth nothing. It's just worth less than previously, and you're definitely not completely free and clear. I mean, the old mantra, I just got infected. I don't have to worry about anything for the next at least several months. I think that's no longer true. You, you, you certainly are at risk, but I think you have some protection. Um, how severe the second infection is varies a lot. I don't think there's any really good studies that show, are they on average worse? Are they on average uh, less severe? I'd sort of assume that on average, they're probably about the same. Were you, was yours better or worse than the first one? It was actually a little worse. It, it gave me a month-long cough. It's actually still making my throat a little scratchy. That hasn't really gone away, which isn't great for my job, uh, but still relatively mild. Yeah. So, you know, you would think if on average, it would probably be on average a little bit milder because you do have some immunity from your first infection plus your vaccines. Um, what we don't know is the impact on long COVID. There was a study that just came out from the St. Louis VA that looked at uh, people who had multiple infections, and it seems like their long-term outcomes are, are a little bit worse than people who had a single infection. So I think there's a lot about this that we don't know, but my bottom line is reinfection is not nothing. You are at some risk for reinfection after your first infection. And so if you've been careful up till now and you get infected, unfortunately, I don't think you've got to get out of jail free card. And unfortunately, I think if you get reinfected, we have to assume that that has potential consequences. More with UCSF's Dr. Bob Wachter after a quick break. I'll ask him about something I'm planning later this month. I'll be attending a conference where I'll be indoors with more than a thousand people. Is that a bad idea? I'll also ask him about where he stands on any future mask mandates in light of new variants like BA5. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Dr. Wachter, you've been candid with the public about your family's experience with COVID. You shared about it when your son got it and when your wife did back in May. You mentioned that she's feeling a bit better, which I'm so glad to hear, but she's still dealing with some long COVID symptoms. Long COVID is something you've been consistently concerned about for yourself. Has 
seeing your wife deal with it change the way you talk or think about the pandemic? Not really, because, you know, in my day job, I take care of patients. So I kind of was aware of of what that felt like. It's a little more visceral when you sort of see someone you love close up and personal. You can read, you know, somewhere, oh, this person has long COVID and they have, what are their symptoms? Uh, uh, fatigue and brain fog. And it's like, uh, no big deal. It's not like they're short of breath or, or they're somehow disabled. But, you know, for my wife's a, a, an author and a journalist, she thinks for a living and to be in a situation where, you know, she works with her brain for three hours in the morning and has to lie down for an hour to take a nap. That's very much not nothing. We've minimized long COVID to some extent because we don't fully understand it. We've minimized it in part because there's no test for it per se. And to me, you know, it is the main reason I'm still being careful. I, you know, with, with, with two boosters, I really don't worry about a severe case, although it could happen, um, old enough for it to happen. But my main worry is, you know, three months after a case, I still feel crummy and have trouble getting through a day. And then a year or two from now, I'm at higher risk of having a heart attack or a stroke or diabetes, all of which studies have shown. I'd prefer not to have that if the cost is that I wear a mask when I go into the Safeway. It just doesn't seem like that big a deal. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Wachter, I have a little bit of a selfish question, if you don't mind. I'm going to a work conference at the end of this month. I know I'll have to fly for it. The sessions will all be indoors. There will be over 1,200 people attending. I plan to wear a good mask the whole time. And I'm making this decision, even with the risk of BA5, because the conference is worth it to me. I think it's going to add value to my life. Am I making the right calculations as someone who's already been infected twice? Or should BA5 change the risk calculations that people are making around activities and travel? I'd encourage you to do it. I, you know, We're two and a half years into this thing. For all I know, we'll still be in this pickle two years from now. I mean, for all I know, we'll be in this pickle 10 years from now. I No way of predicting. And so the idea that we're all going to diminish our life by not doing the things that are important to us in our life and our work and our friendships and our family, that doesn't seem acceptable to me at this point. So I have absolutely no hesitation about traveling for work or for fun. Um, I, I absolutely do it. But... To me, the question is, you know, how do I do it as safely as possible? And so to me, you know, it sort of gets boring, but it's you're going to be in an indoor space with a whole lot of people, probably most of them not wearing masks. You should continue to wear a good mask. And if you let your guard down in inside, particularly uh, in a crowded space with a lot of people, you should just do it with your eyes open. You are putting yourself at some risk. So I think we're past the time where you should, where you say, I can't do these activities anymore. But I still think we're in the time where if you're trying to avoid getting COVID, which I think is the smart thing to do, there are ways of keeping yourself safe. Unfortunately, just being vaccinated and boosted is a way of keeping yourself safe in terms of getting really, really sick and dying of it, but not all that effective as a way of keeping yourself safe from getting it. So you have to do these these old things that we now talked about for a couple of years. Right. And it's clear now that, you know, vaccines alone were never going to end the pandemic. Protective measures like masks, like you mentioned, still matter. But you've also said in recent interviews that government mandates aren't really effective anymore. From your perspective, what would justify a government mandate now? Yeah, let me let me take a step back in terms of mandates. I think the literature on mandates is mixed. When you look at the research on mandates, you can find studies that support them and say they work other studies that don't. 
But I'd say the, the evidence is not very strong that they work. And I think in some ways, more importantly, two and a half years into this, at a time where the, the death rate has gone down significantly, it's certainly still terrible and, and real, um, at a time where people have the capacity to keep themselves safe through their vaccines, their boosters, masking, and the, their own personal choices. I think in the beginning, absolutely, we had to do it. We had to get a handle on this thing. Hospitals were being overwhelmed. I don't think we're at that stage right now. UCSF, I'm sitting in my hospital taking care of patients. We've got about 40 COVID patients in a 600-bed hospital. You're not being overwhelmed by COVID by any means, maybe 10, 10 people in the ICU. When would a mandate be appropriate? When we need a circuit breaker, when we have to do something to stop the transmission as quickly as possible. And that would be if instead of 40 patients in the hospital, we all of a sudden have 150 or 200. If all of a sudden we've got to cancel your cardiac surgery because we don't have room for you at the end, then I think you've got to do something more serious than just recommending to people that they wear masks. I don't think we're anywhere near that threshold. And uh, you know, reasonable people will disagree on that. In the Bay Area, I think when you tell people there's a lot of COVID around, let's start getting serious folks. Uh, people mostly do it. So, I mean, this is not true in most other parts of the country. So I don't know that we need mandates here. I think strong recommendations from our leaders, that's what I'm trying to do. There's a huge amount of COVID around today. I think it's worth trying to avoid it. If you're trying to avoid it, you need to wear a good mask. I think that's the message, even if there's not a mandate, but I don't think mandates are appropriate unless things really, really take off. And we see a lot more hospitalizations and a lot more deaths. Mm -hmm. So looking ahead, I know this is so hard to predict, but does the end of a pandemic look possible to you anymore? What, what would that look like ultimately? Well, there's no possibility that if you mean the end of the pandemic, that we will see the last case of COVID and have you know, a banner in, the, in, in, your, in your paper that says no more COVID. That's, that chance of that is zero. Uh, the chances that COVID becomes sort of you know truly like the flu it's a it's a respiratory virus that causes a moderate amount of disease and a small but real amount of severe disease and death uh you know can happen uh, a lot of it depends on something that's wildly unpredictable which is sort of the course of these variants if 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 we were still had omicron version one and that was all that was out there and then we came up with a, and a lot of people got it and had some immunity against it. And that immunity continued to count fully because that's still the virus that you're being exposed to. And we rejiggered the vaccine so that the vaccine was specifically targeted against Omicron. And somehow we convinced a lot of people to take it. Then we would be down to a very, very low level of cases, probably a manageable level of cases. And, the, and we would be talking about the end of the pandemic because it wouldn't even be on the front page of your paper anymore. I haven't seen a story about the flu in your paper for, for, for a few decades. So I think that's the likeliest thing. And it's happening. You know, I'm not sure it's correct, but it's, ha you know, COVID was story number one for two years. And today I'm pretty sure it's behind inflation, Ukraine, guns, abortion, January 6th. So that's sort of how this goes away rather than it truly going away mm. as a healthcare threat. Mm -hmm. Dr. Wachter, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. 
Dr. Bob Wachter is the chair of medicine at UCSF. You can read his pandemic guidance on Twitter and join his nearly 280,000 followers. He's at Bob underscore Wachter. That's W-A-C-H-T-E-R. For more BA5 variant coverage, go to sfchronicle.com and the Chronicle app. This episode was produced with help from Melissa Newcomb, King Kaufman, and Sarah Feldberg. Thanks for listening.